the club. All right. Well, welcome back to Rad Country. I am your host, Nick Rucker. And once again, we are without Justin Morrison. He's, uh, we keep catching him at the worst times to schedule, uh, or I keep scheduling at the wrong times. But uh, today we have a very special guest and uh, special to me. And, you know, going back um, clear to whenever I started in the Army 14 years ago, this is year 14, which is crazy because time, as Ian will tell you as well, time flies in the Army. It just seems to, um, you, you count it between deployments, uh, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the Facebook memories pop up and you're like, man, that was 10 years ago. Jeez. Uh, but uh, we were just talking, chatting uh, before Ian got out. You you served 30, 31 years, right? Yeah, yes, sir, Nick. I sure did. 31 years. Yeah. Yep. And before you got out, you're at the strategic level. That's very, very high up there, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, so. It, it, was, it, was, it was different from the, the prior 28 and a half years I served in the Army uh, because uh, you never saw that level and you never understood what all the decisions were behind things and how everything revolves around one thing, the almighty dollar. And uh, it just it revolved around the dollar as every decision was, do we have the money for it and where are we pulling the money for it? And uh, can we pull money from this funding stream or this funding stream? So anyway, it's just kind of interesting because everything was revolved around the dollar the decision was. So, yep. And uh, just a quick, I'll just say a quick backstory between us was my first day on active duty. I showed up to Fort Riley and I was to report to your office and uh, you and Colonel Silverstein. And I, walked into the building, which was right across, uh, I believe it was Apennines, I think, right? Is that, I think that's right. Yeah. And um, walked up and waited in the office. Then you called me in and I was so nervous just because I'm uh, E2, I think I was at the time. And I, my interactions with uh, Sergeant Majors or Command Sergeant Majors were very little up to that point. If it was, it was probably somebody yelling at me for walking on the grass. Uh, <laughs> so, so um, for, so, so Nick, for, for me, my first interaction with the Sergeant Major was I was two years in the Army before I had my first interaction. Oh, well, I got lucky then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you called me in, and uh, something that I remember to this day, uh, I don't remember anything that led up to what you told me, but you said, uh, well, hopefully you're ready to go to Iraq because we leave here in a month. And I was like, wow, this is a lot to take on for, uh, <laughs> I think, 24-year-old at the time. And uh, I, rem I just remember that day like it was yesterday and walked out of there. And and uh, then life changed from there on out. And 14 years later, here we are, still, still acquaintances, still, well, friends now at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's been a... Uh, you took us to, uh, well, First Sergeant Trunk took us to Iraq. You went um, on a different mission, but we were there at the exact same time. And I wish now we had fallen under you, but we fell under third uh, ID from uh, Hunter Army Airfield. And uh, we had Sergeant Major Williams then. And But uh, 
so we uh ultimately that's kind of our story and then we just linked back up after after basically you're about to retire and wanted me to come down to play a show which uh at your retirement party which didn't pan out but that's that's okay because we we kept in touch anyway <clears throat> that would have been good that would have been a lot of fun and uh i i, I felt bad kind of like nick god i hate to get you down here for you to play for just 10 people or just my family <laughs> and, and two covid hit and then it, then, it, then it was out the window after that you know and uh, it would have been good uh um I can't complain as I never wanted a whole lot for a retirement ceremony. Anyhow, I, I, they had to kick me to do a retirement speech, to be honest. But um, yeah, I, I, I would have loved to have you down here. It would have been a lot of fun, Nick. And uh, Oh, I love coming to Texas anyway. So, so you reside now in Pittsburgh, Texas, right? Yeah, I reside in a little bitty town called Pittsburgh, Texas, which is an hour uh hour from arkansas oklahoma and louisiana okay i've i can't say that i've been to pittsburgh texas but one of these days i about guarantee i'm going to play probably a show there is there anywhere to play a show there well for here uh country music's kind of a, a big thing here because they call it the texas uh texas dirt music or something and they have a hometown hero cole wetzel is from here and uh so that's a big thing and they, there's a, he's a country artist that's down here that's pretty big in Texas. And then um, every year they have uh, their little deal like the Pioneer Days for us. You know, have an artist come down and play during the Pioneer Days. And then uh, there's a lot of bands that just kind of, not necessarily our town, but all the towns around it, they kind of do things with. That's, uh, that's kind of, uh, I think I know his, that name. For some reason, it r rings familiar. All that red dirt country scene, uh, living in Kansas, and I started my country music stuff uh, while I was still on active duty and trying to juggle that. But that's that's what Kansas has is red dirt music, and I got into that kind of pipeline. And I play nowhere near red dirt music, but uh, the people are good, and uh, the, usually the the crowds are even better. So. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah he he, uh, he really uh he's very popular because i can go to austin and, and i see people with co wetzel shirts on and they'll say we're going to see co wetzel I'm like how did you know who co wetzel was i thought only pittsburgh people did but that's not true uh people all across texas definitely know who he is and so i just showed out how to touch I, i'm just a so old retired sergeant major out of touch i guess so <laughs> so and um, uh and you're an avid dallas cowboys fan just like me as well yeah, as every uh, American should be, as every American should be. I just throwing it out there in case somebody's missing all that. The every American, should, it is America's team. We didn't ask for that to be bestowed on us; it was given to us, rightfully so, and we just we embrace it. So, yeah, that's. Uh, I just remember back to the good old days: the Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, mm -hmm. Michael Irvin, Jay Novacek, uh, Daryl Moose Johnson, and those are the days I miss. And I think Troy Aikman said it best recently when he said they're not like we were. They need to get uh, get their uh, shit together, basically. Uh, I, I agree. I think uh, I think uh, I think Jerry Jones is not afraid to spend money, and he does it. He normally does. He, he'll pay. Sometimes he pays more than what they're supposed to. But sometimes I also wonder if he's more focused on uh, the the like points on the draft than what follows the draft. 
you know, is, Hey, I hit a home run. Everybody's happy now for a few months and we're good now. And don't know what's going to happen, but it doesn't matter. I did good in the draft. You know, that's kind of what I think some of it is. So I don't know. I could be completely wrong, but it's just, it's disheartening after so many great years that we've had. And we've been close a couple of times. It's just that we falter in the playoffs. So it's sad. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get beat up with all the memes and everything else. Everybody likes to talk uh, some smack about the Dallas Cowboys. That, that's a fact. I got I got people who are Pittsburgh Steelers fans who have more rings than anybody else, and all uh, uh, and all they got to do is just flaunt them. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I don't know how many the Patriots have now. Maybe the Patriots have more, but all they got to do is just go look at my rings. You know what I'm saying? And and they go, no matter what, they talk about Dallas. I'm like, do you even have a team? I mean, come on. I mean, if I had a team as, as cool as yours. <laughs> Even though that you cry in your towel all the time and you can't afford the other emblem on the other side of your helmet and Pittsburgh kind of sucks. That Pittsburgh does compared to this Pittsburgh. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I, I would be, I wouldn't even care about anybody else. And that's kind of me with the Cowboys is, Oh, I'm sorry that you're that fan. I, okay. You won the Super Bowl two years ago. You're still not America's team. So. Yeah. yeah. I, I still, uh, every year, you know, I, throw my money in the well and wish for uh <laughs> wish for a good season and every year i'm just kind of disappointed at some point but hey that's just the life we live until it gets better well i got two dogs <laughs> if i need to sacrifice one of them they're getting up in age i'll pick the one that's starting to gimp around a little bit i'm willing to do whatever it takes i guess so i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i got a couple to sacrifice too so yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, so the big, big thing and and uh, right now so much is going on. And uh, like we were talking about before we we started recording was just recently over in Germany and and a lot of the active duty guys that were uh, over there were kind of gearing up to go do some training yeah. uh, close to the border of Ukraine. And really, I wanted to bring you on and kind of get your perspective on things and and how you see it from you know the obviously you've been at very high levels of command and and have have led thousands and thousands of soldiers that have obviously gone into combat uh what as of right now given your experience in the past and everything else because you've been to bosnia mm -hmm. and um it's kind of interesting i work with a guy who uh immigrated from Bosnia during the war that was going on there. Uh, and he tells me kind of like the other sides of the story as being, you know, growing up there and having to immigrate to the United States after everything that went down. And, and I, you know, I, I can't help but maybe think that you think that this is pretty similar to maybe what's going on. Well, um, so a couple of things I'll say is um, first of all is I wrote a piece on it. it just came out today for I, it. I do a podcast called the coach and the vet. And uh, I wrote a piece on it that come out today. It said, Russia, no, actually we're going back to the Soviet union. You know, that was the title of it. And, uh, and it kind of laid out, to be honest, uh, it, it hit the political side a lot and it laid out how we got there in certain aspects is certain things had to be right. But at the end of the day, uh, we were briefed about five years ago that we had to uh, 
we had we got briefed about five years ago that we had to sit there and uh, listen to a couple of generals. I didn't listen to them personally, but we got the briefing off of what they said that came from Russia. And a couple of things that it's been in the news lately and things of that nature. But a couple of things that's been in there is, you know, the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union, was not expecting us to move east as fast as we did. That's one thing. They didn't want to, they, they thought that when we left, we wouldn't want to do it. And supposedly there's this mysterious article uh, that uh, James Baker, the Secretary of State, and Gorbachev had agreed to. And But if you ask both of them, that's not necessarily the case. And uh, so, um, but that's the myth that's in the, in the Russian environment. Is that right there? The other thing is, is they really expected us to be in um, more of including them in decision makings when we did with world powers. They said, hey, the wall came down, we, we took our tail and run, and now we want, you know, U.S.-Russian relations to go on. What would we do in Bosnia? What would we do in this place? What would we do in this place? And what would we do in this place? And for a little bit, you know, we did a little bit of that with uh, – when I was in Bosnia, there was Russian soldiers there and we talked to them and during that time, they wouldn't even get paid by the Russian uh, government. I, I sit there and I watched during that time, uh, Fulberg colonels for the Russian side having to trade their, uh, trade their uh, overcoats for some boots. They were trading American soldiers for some boots. They had these fancy overcoats that were very lavish compared to what we had. You know, we had, you know, the BDU jacket they had this one like some mink jacket out of, out of something that you would just like, wow, that's kind of cool. But they're, <laughs> but they didn't have any shoes that were warm. Their shoes actually on it were so paper thin at the bottom, they were freezing their feet off, you know? So, but those three, the, those three, th well, two things. And the third thing, I don't think I said it was, is the other thing they wanted us to really know is when America negotiates, and this kind of goes to right now is when we negotiate, we always go nuclear is the last option. And the Russian yeah. generals had explained nuclear is always an option for us. It is always on the table. If it can save more troops, da, 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 it's on the table. I just hadn't used it, you know, but that is always in the equation for them. So when we see right now when Vladimir Putin says, well, I mobilize this, I don't know if that's really anything to really – raise a wild hair about or not. I think that's a message to the West saying, you know, da, 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 don't mess with us is really what, it's, what it is because we include this. Uh, so that's yep. kind of the first pretense of it. And then because Vladimir Putin, he's come out and he's, he's said numerous times, people say that he's crazy. And I debate whether that's propaganda or factual. You know what I'm saying? Because, yeah. you know, us in the military, we, we're always, excuse me, always kind of critical or questionable of the press from whatever we see. Because we've both been in places where that's not what went on. You know, we've all been there, you know, like that's not what's happening, you know, and stuff like that. And so I, I just question that uh, regarding Vladimir Putin. Uh, does he think like we do? No, he doesn't. He thinks like uh, a Soviet person would. He doesn't think like a Western person does. Am I sitting here trying to toot his horn? Hell no, I'm not. I, I think that, you know, we need to kick his butt uh, American style, you know, 
That's just how it should be. But with him, from his foxhole and from his viewpoint is we used to have all this and now we don't and NATO's moving west. And, you know, so what do I do? How old is he? I think he's 73, you know? What is he? Is a 73-year-old worried about money? No, he's worried about legacy. Yeah. You know, that you know, for for four years we watched him dog out Donald Trump. Oh, he's worried about money. I'm like, that dude ain't worried about a damn dime that you're thinking of. I can tell you that right now. Same thing with Putin. He's not worried about any sanction or money. Now, it might affect his country, but what I think, in my personal opinion, I think he's all about legacy. Now, I've done a lot of studying. I mean, my master's in American military history, but I, one of the strong points of my history background is the uh, Soviet Union is really uh, prior to World War II and actually the Bolshevik Revolution. And, uh, but just, you know, how that country came about, and I say that country, not Russia, how the USSR came about, you know, they released a lot of criminals and things like that. And they're used to doing things shady ways and all this other stuff. And to be quite frank is um, really only the, roughly the last close to 30 years, they've been out of that. So there's still a lot of leaders that are still used to those shady ways, you know, Hey, Nick, you know, you don't have to fight for us. We just kill all your family. You know, it's nothing big. You can do whatever you want. Uh, we're not going to get mad about it, but either you do it or we just kill them all. And, and that's not mocking it. That's really just how things are. There's a lot of really great books out there uh, talking about how Soviet Union was. And, uh, and there's one that I think that really at this time, here's a good book for everybody to read. It's called Bloodlands by Timothy B. Schneider. It was a New York Times bestseller. And what it talks about is that region between, and I should have brought it here to show it on the thing, not that I'm advertising for Timothy B. Schneider, but if Timothy B. Schneider ever watches Rad Country, I just want you to know, dude, I bought your book four times because I keep giving it out. I forget who I give them out to and I never get them back. So anyway, but this book right here, um, it talks about, and it begs the question, who was worse, Hitler or, or Stalin? And now we're, we're farther than ahead of that, but what it really paints is that region between what was Germany and Russia, real Russia, that region, Ukraine and Poland, it just went by hands left and right. For years, it's gone through hands and hands. And both of them just want somebody to stand by them. And to, to paint the picture of what's going on right now, and I wrote this in my paper, Poland begged us to put a base there. But two countries in the EU turned it down. And, and because they were the two bigger countries, Germany and France, other countries strapped on later because they were focused on they were focused on the EU and the financial side where Poland was closer going, hey, people have ran through our country over the last hundred years numerous times. We just want some stability so we can build up and not have to tear everything down and build back up every 20 years or 30 years. So yep. they wanted, a, they asked to have a tank division there, you know, and I'm like, hell yeah, that's strategic <laughs> smarts, you know, but yeah. it got overridden because Poland was thinking of how NATO should be thinking where Germany and France was thinking about the monetary side. And so that's the disembogglement, you know, the non-collective 
not non-synced thought within NATO, that's that's a challenge right there. That don't mean all NATO is completely unsynced. It's just there's some things that, well, I, this is more important than me building a military, or this is more important than me worrying about your damn euro rate. You know, one, you know, either way, and that's yeah. just some of the challenges we have. And this is a wake-up call because, as I throw out in my paper, does he stop at Ukraine? We don't know. Let me let me throw this out here. How I look at things is put yourself in his shoes. That don't mean you have to like him, because I don't. That don't mean you have to glorify him, because I don't. But if you were in his shoes from the Russian standpoint, I lost my USSR, and right now I have an opportunity to gain my USSR back. But if NATO blinks, I have the opportunity to break it in half. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's powerful. You yeah. know? And um, and that's no joke right there because that alters a whole lot of things. And then the question comes about, we're talking about Russia and Ukraine right now, but then the question yep. comes about, what does China do? If yeah. they see us blink, you know, they've been wanting Taiwan for years since George W. Bush days. That When I remember reading about it, and I know it was well before then, but I remember reading about it on an airplane going to Germany under George W. Bush days that they wanted Taiwan. They wanted a Navy strong enough to deter us so they could take Taiwan. You know, mm-hmm. so so I think there th- those are some things there. And you just came from Europe, from Germany, and got to experience. That's a beautiful culture over there in Europe. And, and each nation has their own different, distinct identity. But I just think of this like with Ukraine. I've never been to Ukraine, but I've been to most European countries over there. And they're beautiful in their own way. And I'm just like, man, we're destroying a country that's got 41 million people in it. And wow, that, that's powerful, you know. Right. <clears throat> I think uh, especially with just seeing kind of their tactics and just mm-hmm. they're kind of there's no real rhyme or reason to it. From what I see, it's more of very like uh, reactive. Oh, we've got a hit here. Like, I, I don't I don't know. Maybe from your standpoint, just because maybe you can give a little feedback on that because a lot of what I see them doing, it's like whenever you see the 40 mile long convoy and all this, and I don't know what's true, what's not true when these photos were taken and all this and that. But to me, I'm like, man, that 40 mile convoy is a perfect time to set up some IEDs and and cause some real issues. Or or send some tomahawks down there. Right. And, and, for them to drop that bomb in the middle of uh, Kharkiv, I think it was, uh, I think that I'm saying that right. That was, you know, I was just watching that video and I'm like, these people are just trying to live their lives and they've got, they've got fire rescue teams that are going out to take care of it. It's not like Afghanistan where it's like you drop a bomb and, and you know, we're the ones going in to clean up after ourselves. Um, And it's, it's obviously a society of people that don't want this problem right now. Like they, they just want to live their lives and didn't really ask for it. But I, I just can't, you know, I guess trying to wrap my head around it. Like why, you know, why, why do that? Go ahead. I, I think a couple of things here. First of all, I'm going to throw my pitch here for the time magazine man of the year has to be. And if it's not, 
we know that Time Magazine Man Woman of the Year is strictly freaking uh, donor based then, but it has to be President Zelensky. Period. If it's not him, and okay, it better be the Ukrainian freedom fighters. And if you throw me a Greta back on that damn thing, we know that you're all about the money. I'm just throwing it out there because I'm telling you what, I see Texan all up in that darn president. That dude is bad as can be. And, I, and I'm not saying he's like super tough. I'm just saying the dude has heart beyond measure. And you and I both know that that right there on the battlefield would get almost every one of us even a pacifist to go, we're following him like it ain't nobody's business, you know? Yep. And, uh, and then you have, so, so you have that, you have, I believe it's the vice president's wife is fighting. Okay. You have Miss Ukraine's fighting. You have the boxer who has all the money in the world that could fly himself out at any time. Who's the mayor of Kiev is fighting and you got all these people fighting and you got people from Poland who have Ukrainian descent that goes, we're going to Ukraine to go kick some butt. And, you know, I, I look at this, this is like the Alamo, which did not pan out well for the 183 that lives in Alamo. And that's going, you know, this is Texas history, you know, mixed in with Ukraine, but this is March. And this is when it all happened for Texas is right now. It's the same thing as, as I'm God, I'm hoping it don't turn out to be the Alamo and I hope it's better than that. Uh, so there's that part. Now on the strategic side and on, on the on the battlefield issues, I've heard a couple of things. Uh, I've heard, and I'll, I won't mention the general because I might get him mixed up, but I, I believe I know which general it was. But there was some questioning about the units that were on the border that they wasn't the strike unit. They hadn't trained together a lot, kind of like uh, kind of like how we we'd mix a, a reserve unit and pull a lot of people in that had never trained with them before. And he goes, why are we doing, why are they doing it? Not we, but why would they do that when you would? So something leads me to believe one or two things. That either one, uh, he's sending the easy forces in first to kind of get them knocked out of the way, send the equipment out, get it knocked out of the way, and he rolls out all the good stuff later. I don't know. That might be the first one. The second one, and I think I've had this thought most of the way through this, to be honest, is irregardless of how we feel about Putin, I do believe that him wanting Ukraine is for the, the reason to have the Soviet Union back. But I also believe that he felt that he could have Ukraine as a working composite of the Russian society. Okay. Mm -hmm. That he wasn't going to go there level on it initially. That wasn't his intent even though we'll paint that picture and that my picture might be right. Okay. But I believe that he was like, we're going to go there. We're going to kill a bunch of freedom fighters. We're going to take over. Everybody else is going to love us. And we're going to have this society that they'll produce things for us. And because it's the, it's really the innovation area of, of Eastern Europe and, and we'll take advantage of all that. And it's like the little hidden treasure and, and we'll benefit from it and get the most out of it. Uh, I really feel that's probably what his mind thinking was. So with that, you know, one thing we haven't seen is we've seen some, some bombs hit, but we really haven't seen it rain artillery or MLRS or rockets like we expected it to. And, uh, and I think that's part of the reason why. And I think that's why he was so 
I could be completely wrong, but I feel that's why he's so conservative with the Air Force, to be honest, is not destroying, not losing hearts and minds intentionally and things like that. Mm -hmm. In war, you're always going to have some, you're going to have some people that die that was not intended to be in the fight and all that. And that is war. That's not a pretty side of war. It's just a sad fact of war. Um, but we do, I think most people feel that either he's facing too tough a resistance, which I don't necessarily believe that. I think he's being cautious going, here's your lifeline. Here's your lifeline. And he turns on, I could be completely wrong. I, I just don't believe I am regarding that. I think, do you, that do you think it's, do you think maybe it's a probe to see kind of like, Hey, what is everyone else going to do if I do this? Um, and trying to see how we react even just like oh, before oh yeah. it does get big, bigger scale. Well, I think it's 1939 all over. That don't mean that we're going to go into a world war, but I think it has all the ingredients to do that. Remember Germany went into Czech and we're like, don't do that again. And then he went into Poland. And then when he went into Poland, we're like, okay, maybe we let him get too much. And now let's all go declare war on him except for the U S you know? And, uh, and I think that's, part of the problem, you know, is, uh, is there's rumors out there that when the Ukrainians turned over the nukes under the Clinton administration, and I don't know if that's factual or not, that we made an agreement that we'd stand by them. And if we did, man, we could just kind of stick in them right now. I hate to say that. And I hope that's yeah. not the case. <laughs> we, we, and, you know, and we just had, but I, I do believe this right here. I, I believe wholeheartedly and in, in my paper, I wrote there was three ingredients for him to do this. OK. And the first one was that if you understand NATO, everybody says the strength of NATO is the 30 countries that are all in NATO and they're unified together. But to be honest, the strength of NATO is America's resolve. OK, that I, I'm going to cut to the chase. It's America's resolve, because if you take America out, how many of them will stand there shoulder to shoulder? you know, uh, is America's resolve. So that's the first thing. So we had Afghanistan and the, the resolve of NATO, you know, what happened after that? The British went on parliament floor and questioned our presence in NATO. The Germans did the same thing and other countries did that. They questioned whether we, they need to be able to work without the Americans. So the, there's some question in there. So I think that was the first thing you needed. The second thing, and this might get political to people and they can call it what it is, they need the right president for the right time. And Joe Biden yep. stepped up for that. And uh, whether you like me or not for saying that, yep, he's the president. And he has shown to be on the world stage to be extremely weak. At the end of the yep. day, there's no cutting the bullshit on it. That's exactly what it is. And uh you could left Afghanistan and done it like 2,500 different ways. And we would have never had the debacle that we had, but instead we decided to leave for a photo op. So you have NATO and then you have that right there, the president, the third ingredient. And if you notice all of them revolve around one country, the third ingredient is America's resolve. America itself. We've done 20 years of fighting two wars. There's not a big appetite in America for us to go fight anybody. Yeah. You know, we're willing to like 
What, what have we heard on this? Oh, he just took a little portion of Ukraine. You know, let's just do a peace agreement and move on. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, the British just finally decided to take those 13 American colonies back. It's just a little portion of America. You know, that's the same thing that we're just saying right there. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. but I think he, Putin, and they've said he's been planning this for 15 years, but he needed those three things to line up or he would have never done it. You know, he didn't do it under the previous president. He did not do it. He did go into the crime a little bit, but he did do that under George W. When I, uh, he, that was Georgia. He went under, on, under Obama. He went in the crime of them. He went into Georgia under Bush uh, and fought the Chechnyans, I believe, or something like that. And then Bush was smart enough to go, hey, Putin, come over the house to the barbecue pit, man. And that sounds crazy, but it goes back to what we talked about. They wanted to be included in the equation when we made world decisions. Now, mm-hmm. all Bush did was, let's turn the brisket over, Putin. Let's have a good, you know, pulled pork sandwich and call it a day, you know? And that's all he needed was to be stroked. Now, does that mean he's a good guy? No, but there, there's a deal with foreign policy that you see a lot. And, I, and I'll give you a good example. But when uh, President Trump went and talked to North Korean leader, people threw a fit. Foreign policy is about sucking your ego up a good bit and coaxing the bear. Now, the bear can yeah. be a little bear, big bear, but it's like, yeah, you're cute. I like you, you know, and all this other stuff. It's about that. But what did we want in the news? He needs to go to him in front of all the microphones and TV and tell him off. That don't do a damn thing. All that right. does is to make American citizens happy but it destroys and deteriorates foreign policy. Now, I hate to say it, when you deal with somebody like Putin or or the Chinese leader or the North Korean leader, you kind of got to, not necessarily he crow, but you kind of got to sit there and go, okay, this is what makes him tick. Dang, man, I did not know that he liked freaking tacos and barbecue. I'm bringing his ass over. And you solve a lot of world's (laughs) problems just like that. You know, you just came from Germany, and in Germany, we would sit there and we'd do a lot of partnership things, and I would do things with either mayors or I would do things with town officials or their equivalent SAR majors and, and, and things like that, and their colonels and, and such. Every conversation we ever had started with 45 minutes of us talking about each other's families. Mm-hmm. You watched under the previous president like, when did you punch him in the chest and tell him to F off? That's not policy. And, and so that's how you get to these places right here. You remember, and, and I will say, you know, what, what, did, what did the president say on his campaign trail? I will put him in a corner. You know, I'll, I will handle him. You don't tell a world leader that. You tell world wow. leaders, I'll talk to him and we'll figure this out. You know, we'll figure this out. You don't embarrass him on his stage, period. You can go do that behind closed doors and you come out in front of American people and love. Yeah, I didn't answer all your other questions, so I'm not going to answer that. Let's talk about something domestic, you know, call it a day. So, yeah. And, and you handle business behind closed doors. That's how you deal with a foreign leader. And so I think uh, Putin uh, definitely doesn't feel, he don't feel loved. 
you know, and I'm, and I'm not mocking everything because he, he is a bad person, you know, at the end of the day, but we don't, we as Americans don't know how at times to deal with foreign people in negotiations and such. We're too busy mm -hmm. about appeasing the people on the other side of our camera. Now, anyway, but that's just my thoughts on, on some of that. I think uh, I, I, I got a lot of uh, respect for the Ukrainian people. They're, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the president of Ukraine ever did before, besides I heard he was a comedian. I don't care. I don't know if he's cheated at cards or he drank too much. But you know what? I would follow that guy right now into battle any day because he's he's got it going on, you know. And I, and I, and I truly 100% believe that all he cares about is his people and his country. I, right. I, you know? I, I I think that there was a bunch of Americans that even I sat there and I had a conversation the other day and said, right now, if I were to follow our president or their president into battle, I would follow their president into battle in just because, because that's a leader. That's somebody that's like, Hey, follow me. Like, uh, it's not a, well, I'll get behind you kind of thing. Like, <laughs> um, and so I think, I think I think for a lot of us that have been on active duty or that are in the military, there was a fire that lit inside. I mean, there was excitement over all everything that was kind of popping off. Um, and it was it died down for me a little bit. But then I just saw uh, the fact that there's these people that are fighting for their lives now on a daily basis just to get by and we're not doing anything. I think, you know, and I think it's in my, it's in, it's instilled in me to want to go help, you yeah. know, and even if that's like, Hey man, let me see your gun. I'll fix it for you. So you can get back out there, whatever the case may be. Um, but I've got a set of expertise that would be beneficial to the fight, you know? And I think a lot of Americans um, and, and military guys were probably feeling the same way. Um, uh, and I think some of, you know, ex-veterans and stuff did go over there and are lending a hand where they can. I imagine it's probably saying, hey, go do this. It's not so much they're shooting the bad guys. Uh, but I, I have to feel that you're you're probably we're feeling the same thing. You'd probably put the uniform back on and go over today if you got the chance. It'd be a little snug right now because I, I gained some weight. <laughs> I hate to say that. I'm not as thin as I used to be. Uh, we'd probably have to go with uh, some pregnancy BDUs or something, but anyway, but, um, uh, yeah, um, in a heartbeat and what you said about the president, I'm going to say this is, and this isn't just a knock on him. He's just been as, he's been the weakest one in my lifetime and I've lived a, a good portion of life. I'll say that, but I will say we have longed to have a president and it's about time we have one again, that we have an Ike where we have a four-star general or somebody of that nature that is president. We don't need no Naval uh, graduate from Academy that did five years or something like that, like Carter did. We need, we need a Mattis. We need a something of, somebody who served a long time that gave a long time commitment of not being in politics, but being in what's best for our country is what's needed. And I think we've proven in the last four years 
that it doesn't take somebody that's a lifetime in politics to do a decent job just because we don't like the guy, you know. And I think having a military person, it's about time we start getting, it's about time we start getting our Eisenhower back in there and we start getting our Teddy Roosevelt back in there. And it's about time we start getting our Grant back in there and we get our George Washington back in there. Instead of having these, being used to living off your money a long time and just keep dumping it in my campaign guy. Cause I'll, I will, I'll kiss your baby if you do, you know, yeah. you know we, we need, what do we need? We need the leader like they have. And I don't care what rank it is. We just need the leader where he goes, you know what? I'll go do that. I'll go talk to him. You know, I will go do that. I don't need him to be on the battlefield, but that'd be nice too. You know, but yeah. probably if they're the leader, <laughs> we would probably never enter the battlefield to be honest. It's, it's when we show weakness is countries like Russia and China they smell it, they sense it, and they exploit the heck out of it. And that goes back to the three things. Why did he invade? Oh, yeah, he wanted it the whole time. But it was the timing because of those three things is what gave him the traction to go, they're not going to do anything. And yep. we've, we've talked it really. We might have snuck some supplies in, but we really ain't done a damn thing. Yeah, and We're still buying oil as of yesterday from them how the hell is that i don't understand right. that at all. and i and i had somebody tell me because i posted on the i post on the almighty facebook you know how we buy oil and they go well you know it'll drive the price of oil up da, 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 da. and i'm like uh, yeah and like we don't know that's not going to happen already hello uh lift the yeah. restrictions pump the bejesus out of it out of here in america i promise you if you tell the oil companies it's one thing if you tell the American oil companies, go, we're lifting all restrictions. And you go do like they did in Ford versus Ferrari. Say, I declare war on them. You just say, I declare war on everybody else on the oil market and go win it, oil companies. Uh, you will destroy the Russian economy completely. You will have NATO's alliance partners in our economy boosting each other up. And the oil companies will be filthy rich, paying your taxpayer dollars for all the tax needs that you need, and we'll all be happy. Yep. So, but that doesn't fit, the, you know, the agenda of part of the party is in power, and that that makes things challenging because they're trying to satisfy too many masters instead of thinking strategically. That's my yeah. On it. Yeah, and and the, honestly, too, you know, even with Obama, it was like. He, he was somebody that I felt like he, he was a good leader, like a good, a, a seemed seemed like somebody that like, hey, at least you could buy into what he's saying to some extent. And Trump, Trump the same way. He, I mean, nobody was, you knew nobody's going to come in and push him around. That, yeah. that's, that, that made you feel good at least. Right. Uh, and uh, I got in like George W. Bush, uh, whenever I first got in and, and, that was there was a never any question it was just like this guy's gonna do what's right for us um and he's looking out for probably all of us because he knows that that's a direct reflection of who he is and that's <clears throat> i don't feel that now i just feel like there's no real agenda there's no like trying to 
say like, Hey, I'm going to stick to my guns. Like I said, I'm going to do this. So I'm just going to do that. Um, it's more of like, Oh, well, my ratings are going through the floor and now I've got the, uh, uh, I'm going to get on the big stage and say a bunch of cool things to win the hearts and minds of the people back. But I'm sitting here watching it last night and I'm like, really like all of a sudden COVID's over. Um, he's declared it, you know, like, Oh, you can, because he he said it's over. It's over, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And now we can move on with our lives because we're moving on to another stage of something that's going to be some historical (laughs) going into the record books. One one (laughs) catastrophe replaces the other. And so a couple of things I'll say on that is, uh, President Obama was probably the best orator, person who could talk the best that we've had in a long time, hands down. He he had a golden tongue. Now his policies and what he did was a little different, but he had a golden tongue and he could speak. He could. He is the guy you exactly want to be able to speak to anything. Go here's your script. Go read it or memorize it. Do it. And he would, you know, he he'd do it or write it yourself or whatever. But. He would do that, and he was good at that. He wasn't good on foreign policy, uh, but he would put his foot down a little bit. But, you know, he invited – I mean, he took the tanks out of Europe, and that was not a good thing. And then a year later, the Crimea happened. Regarding George W. Bush, when he came – when he took over, he wasn't in the seat very long, and I flew uh, over to Germany the second time, and it was about three months before 9-11. And they were talking about – and I, I can't remember if it was U.S. News and War Report or Newsweek, but I had the magazine on the airplane. I was reading the article. And they were talking about two things. They were talking about Taiwan and Russia. I mean, Taiwan and China, and they wanted to build a Navy so it wouldn't so it'd deter us so they could take Taiwan. And the second thing they were talking about was George W. Bush. And this all goes about foreign policy and presence. He was saying if the Iraqis fly airplanes uh, in the no-fly zone, he will shoot them down. And all Europe was freaking out. Now, what they reported in there was this. Bill Clinton said the same thing. But they didn't freak out with Bill Clinton. The reason why is because they knew Bill Clinton wasn't going to do nothing. Yeah. The Europeans believed George W. Bush would do something. And that's what got them freaked out. And that's the power of presence and determination and resolve on the public stage. And that's what we're lacking is him to utter words and the world to believe it. Right now, the world doesn't believe the words that comes out of his mouth, the current president. Mm-hmm. And that's the challenge. And that exposes weakness. And is it back to we need a president that is a leader instead of a politician. We need him to be a leader first. And if they're a politician, that's OK. But we need him to be a leader first. Exactly what the Ukrainians got as a president. They got a leader first. Who cares what he was? He was a comedian or something like that. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. I mean, you know, who would, nobody would ever go when I'm growing up, I'm going to be a comedian and the president, you know, it's going to be one or the other, but it's not going to be both. And, um, but that's what we've been lacking. And it goes back to, we need the Washington, the Grant, the the, the Teddy Roosevelt or the Eisenhower, or it can be a sergeant major, or it can be a major 
It can be a captain. It can be a private as long as he can lead with mm -hmm. his presence, you know? And that's what we need first is, is the president of the United States is a leader. Because we have gone too long having people who weren't leaders by the president. We've had some in between, but they have never been the caliber of what you and I have seen in the military, you know, where yep. it's completely the nation first. Regards, that's just my thoughts. I don't know. Is um, well, I, I think in I think as you progress through, let's just say the military in general, um, you start to pull these things from people that like I want that in my as a part of my leadership. I want that. I want that. And then you hope at the end of the day, or at the end of whenever you retire, you hope that you have people that are following you. Um, and saying like, I'm going to pull this from his and then they take the torch and keep going. Uh, and a lot of times it's, it's, it's the, they're basically their grace under pressure. Let's say that like how they react, are they going to, uh, for me at least, like, um, is my commander or is my first sergeant going to whenever the, you know, the this everything gets hot and and uh the stress is there or are they going to fold and say actually i'm going to change my whole whole outlook on things and we're going to do it this way because they just it'd be easier um whereas i think even with the soldiers that i have today um i have to make it a point to stick Hey, I said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to go down swinging to make that happen. And I think that they, the new day and age, you know, and the Gen Z, Gen X, all this stuff, they're not really used to that. They weren't raised that way. And it's, it's a whole other ball game nowadays, but we need to bring it back. And so to bring the full, bring it kind of full circle to what you're saying, like an Eisenhower or, uh, Roosevelt or whatever the case may be, we kind of need to bring that back. We need some, we need somebody to stand up there and say, Nope, this is what we're doing and fall in line because I'm going to lead the way. Like, it's not like I'm going to lead from the white house and say, Hey, go do this. Uh, go clean the latrines. Cause I don't have anything else for you to do. No, it's more of like, I'm going to, tell you what we're going to do and then I'm going to give you the why behind we're, why we're going to do it. And if at the end you're still not convinced, you can tell me why. I, I think that that's what, we just don't have a why right now. I think that's the big thing. And in the, uh, the role that I'm in now, uh, general contracting, the big thing that we stress is why is the customer having you at their house? Um, why, why do they need this fixed or this fixed? And a hundred percent of the time, it's something they have an investment. That's the house. That's their home. That's where they live 90% of their life and they want to take care of it and protect it and everything else underneath the sun. And that's where, that's what the United States is missing right now is we don't have a direction and a why of what we're doing. There is so much chaos, so many different things popping up here and there and there. 
that you know as soon as you open the news feed you're like ukraine you're like uh he she you're like uh, all this crazy stuff and i'm like man i just want to ditch this devil contraption <laughs> today and, and i think if we found a why here's here's what we stand for um as a nation here's what we will what we're trying to do and here's what we won't put up with and right now i feel like we're just putting up with everything it's just like well we're just gonna let people do whatever they want to do now until it gets so far out of control that you got to call up the national guard uh <laughs> i agree I, th I think right now we have what we used to define in in history is a laissez-faire uh laissez-faire however you say it in france type of mentality with the world is we took we've taken an approach on this administration is the world will will evolve how it wants to not us as a superpower nurturing it in a direction that's conducive for freedom you know it will evolve how it wants to and we'll sit back and watch and if they need help they'll ask us and we'll give them limited help and call it a day and well like we're pissed and then the next day we'll find some crisis inside of america to worry about uh, divert the attention and that's really what we've turned into is where we're not the right now we are not being the beacon of light and i heard it today of of who is the defender of freedom and i heard it today somebody sit there and say that right now europe has taken the lead in this not america and it's the first time in a long time that's happened and they then they go but under this administration, that might be a good thing because they might have screwed it up even more, which I don't disagree with that. Uh, it's just, um, it, it, it's kind of weird on all that. And, you know, when we say we need a leader, you know, we've had some people have spurts of being good leaders, but, you know, we've had a lot that haven't, you know, if you think about how things were, how would history really portray JFK if he wasn't assassinated, to be honest? Because to be quite frank, the Bay of Pigs was a complete blunder. The, the Cuban Missile Crisis, we gave a lot up. You know, that was that was the Soviets, the same thing, sense and weakness in JFK, Khrushchev did, because he was young and because how he blundered the Bay of Pigs, they sensed weakness and they didn't like us having missiles right outside of Turkey, right next to their border. That was the issue. And they got us to, to say, we'll back away from those missiles. And so they got something out of that. Although, you know, we got that they didn't put the nukes next door to us. But at the end of the day, they got a carrot out of it. And would Truman have given that carrot up? Would Eisenhower? Would Reagan? I don't think so, you know? And mm -hmm. so we need, and I, I don't think history would betray JFK as politely um, if it wasn't for him being assassinated, I think he would be uh, just a, a couple steps above Carter, to be honest, or or Nixon or something like that, you know, where he's just not looked at very well. And I just think uh, a good leader would be great to have. And uh, but we've gone through a long time without having a real real soldier or commander from the Navy or anything like that in there. We just hadn't had one in a long time. The last mm -hmm. one was George H.W. Bush was the last military. Well, George W. Bush was in, was in the Air National Guard. So he's the last person. 
but you know, he didn't make past the rank of captain. I would like to see somebody that that's been in the military and given a, a, a good bit of time of commitment to our nation that sees more than just the lens and not that it's a bad lens, but there's a whole lot more to that lens to see than just when you and I were private Rucker and private Griffin, our apertures expanded way further than that, you know, on, on seeing how things are. And I think you mm -hmm. need somebody like that. Uh, I, I, it, the rank doesn't necessarily matter, but I do think that it needs to be somebody that's had eight to 10 years or more. I think somebody like, I think there's some really good candidates out there that uh, for the future that could probably lead our country in right ways. And, uh, and I'll name some names and, and some of them come from different parties and I'll name Dan Crenshaw and I'll name uh, Tom Cotton and I'll name Christian Cinema out of Arizona. I love Christian Cinema because she votes exactly how she feels and she don't care what anybody else thinks, even if they follow mm -hmm. her in the bathroom. I don't have to agree with everything that she does because I just respect that she's her own self and not a puppet of a party. And I, I respect that, you know, as people who make their own decisions and put America first and not the, and not the party first, you know, so. Right. Yeah. And, I think, I think Dan Crenshaw would be a good one for sure. Yeah. Like uh, just kind of following him and uh, you know, just the few, few recent years that I have is just kind of like, Man, he just, you know, it's not so much that because I relate to what he's talking about, but just how he carries himself. And like, um, I think probably because I've been in the military, I'm just like you. I want to see somebody that's been in the military in that position, overseeing that kind of uh, all the decisions that were, are made uh, on a and have our best interest at heart. Uh, because they've been there right and i think we just get these guys in there that are just like hey i've done this for a thousand years and i've uh i'm just it was my turn so here we are <laughs> and, yeah exactly uh, like news. it was well you know i mean when we had when we had president trump run against uh hillary clinton you know she felt she gave she gave off the persona that it was owed to me. I, you know, I I punched every ticket. It's owed to me. You know, I bided my time, and I, the presidency is not owed to nobody. One, there's only been forty six of them for a reason, and then two, that punching the ticket stuff. You know, uh, you and I both know that we, we often say soldiers would ask me, "What does it take to be a sergeant major? Which job do I need?" It's not the job; it's what you do in the job that matters. You can go be a first arm, but if you suck at it, you're not going to get promoted. And mm -hmm. let's face the facts. She was not a good secretary of state. And that's not here to bash about her, but I'm, I'm just saying it's not about punching the ticket. It's about being quality of things you do and leading from mm -hmm. the front and not blaming other people. And that tends to be a thing. I would love to see candidates that just don't blame things and just go, you know what? I'll take that on, you know, a simple philosophy that you and I have is when a company commander takes over a unit, his ability to blame the predecessor went out the window once the guy on his, his hands. You yep. know, that's the philosophy we live by. That means the second he assumed command of that organization, he's not allowed to blame anybody else. Now, I will say mm -hmm. the last three presidents have been bad about that. All three of them have. And George W. Bush, I respected a lot 
mainly because he never blamed his predecessor and he had plenty of opportunity to blame the predecessor, but he didn't. And when he left, he didn't blame anybody. He took the high road and he would, he's the epitome of the example of how a president should conduct himself, at least in that demeanor, in, in my mind, you know, yeah. he had his flaws. Yeah. I, all of them do. But in that demeanor, he was the epitome of what you should be. You don't talk about the predecessor. You don't talk about the guy taking your place. You worry about it, and it's all yours. And, and mm-hmm. in the White House, that has gone away, and you're like, hold on a second. You're the position of all responsibility, not the position of throw responsibility away and blame the little guy, you know? You just like, yeah. So that's, I, I, I think that whole, and even, you know, I, I, Jocko Willink and all that stuff and reading his book, Extreme Ownership. And um, I don't like to sit there and say, hey, a book changed my life or whatever the case may be. I, I will if it does. But um, that is always in the back of my mind. It's it's I feel like hey, if I'm in a situation where it's even if it wasn't my fault, it's like, how can I make that better? How can I find a way to rally the troops and make things happen rather than sit there and, and, you know, light my, light my torch and say, burn the witch. Um, (laughs) Well, well, you know, right right now we live in a society where if you're running for office and I had somebody tell me that Hillary did this about songs, but I believe that you don't need a book for inspiration. You should solely look in the mirror and look at yourself. And that alone should inspire you enough for what you've been through in life. That's my feelings is what you've been through in life. Nobody understands, but you, but that should inspire you enough to like, I'm kicking it down the road hard this day, but we have political candidates that if they're on stage and they go, what book did you read for inspiration? They probably didn't read a damn book one, but they go look over their staffer and go, what state are we in? Uh, Who writes in this state? around this town give me give me the person that writes the book that from around here that everybody likes that's in the crowd they would do that you know what i'm saying and be not real where you know one thing i like about gw bush went and i refer to him when he went to the white house i go are you going to be a washington redskins fan no i'm a dallas cowboy fans like texans are supposed to be you know he didn't change just because it's like oh my god they're they're those are all, uh, those are all Jacksonville Jaguar fans. I need to be a Jacksonville Jaguar fan right now. You know. Yeah, I would have a real, pro- I would have a real problem just putting on a, a jersey of the Redskins for a photo op. So <laughs> that, that is not happening. Yeah, that ain't. I happening. might catch on fire. <laughs> yeah, you know, if they won the Super Bowl and they they come and give the president the thing, like, where's my staffer? Take it away. Yeah. Take it away now, and you know. Burn it. <laughs> <laughs> we ran out of toilet paper. We had to use something, and that's going to be it. And so, you know, in the White House. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. The, yeah, the, uh, it's just uh, we we don't have – and I will say part of it's our doing in America, too, is – and I've said this a lot. I've had people ask me, says, Ian, are you going to run for, like, uh, office? And I'm like, no. I would love to, but there's a couple of things I hate in life. 
is I love going to DC to visit, but I hate everything about DC to do business or anything like that. You know, I would not want to live there. That is the most despicable place. It's the traffic's horrible. There's backstabbing left and right. Da 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 da. And I've seen that person. I've seen it at Fort Riley, Kansas. You know, when we were there, you had um, something called signing the covenants, where the local community and the uh, uh, the counties around Fort Riley are signing agreements that they will do partnership with the troops on Fort Riley and. And this brigade's going to have this county, and this brigade's going to have this county, and so forth. And they do this, and they had the governor there. Well, they had the governor, Kathleen Sebelius, there. Yep, I said her name. Anyway, and she came up, and she's given the speech, and she has, she has a senator that's Democrat, and she has a senator that's Republican, and she's Democrat, and she has another congressman. She goes down the line and named welcome Senator so-and-so. She named every one of the Democrats. She blatantly did not name the Republican on purpose. And I'm sitting there going, you do realize we're at a military event where we're not really caring about your politics and you're flaunting it out here in front of all of us that you can't take five minutes to just pet the bear and everybody get along. Yeah. You can't do that for the troops that are supporting you, regardless of how dumb or how smart you are. You cannot put on a face for five minutes. That is what politicians do, is put on a face and kiss ugly babies. So you can't do it <laughs> because it because the party thing strikes you. And I can I, I know a couple of other stories of friends of mine that people do that. And that part there, I would hate. Because of that, because of the ugliness of things like that and then also how we get in politics great people who would be great leaders for our nation will never put their families through that shit you know yeah because why they can do other things and be happy and not have heart failures and shit like that where because of that type of crap the best people to run our nation will never will that's yep. the problem. Well, I think, too, it's like, to me, even coming from, you mentioned it earlier about, like, backstories and where people come from. And I think that some of the greatest people that I, you know, am acquainted with came from, hey, they were a, a, a maintenance guy at a at a apartment complex for two yeah. years. And, and then all of a sudden they just decided, Hey, this isn't what I want to do anymore. Or they were, you know, migrated over from New Zealand and they were doing these odd jobs in carpenter. And then all of a sudden they're, you know, leading companies and, and all this. And it's like, that's the guy I want to work with because he's been at both ends of the spectrum. And he understands that complaining about, crappy work or like how the day is going or whatever just doesn't matter it's it's more of like whenever people need somebody who's going to set the example and uh, be a good leader they've been in those shitty situations where all they had to depend on was themselves to get through what they were doing and some of the best people you know even 
uh, with sobriety and going through AA meetings and, and all of this, the best people that I've sometimes ever met, maybe I don't agree with everything they do, but they're in those meetings. Do they just have a different grasp on life um, and a better understanding of, hey, I've been to the rock bottom of where I could ever possibly go. And I kind of had to slowly dig myself out. And I understand when people are having a bad day, just exactly like, or people are making poor decisions or this or that. Um, I can read it, read it like a book. And that's what I'm trying to help is, is, is basically help those. That's the kind of person that I want that understands everybody to a, a little bit and not is trying to appeal to everybody, but it's more of like, he could walk in and say, Ian, you, you know, you've, you're carrying yourself different than you did yesterday. What's going on, man? And, and you're like, well, you know, like I had to put my dog down so the Cowboys would win the Super Bowl. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. It's been, rough. it's been rough around the house. The wife won't talk to me, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, He's kind of mad well, about that. I, I've been sleeping out in the doghouse over that one. I don't know why, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Just She's feeding me totally. his Alpo now. That's all I get for supper is I'm eating his rations, I guess. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, that would definitely. <laughs> but I agree with you, Nick, is think about if we had a president who's been at the bottom and has faced adversity. You know, right now we've had presidents that have, have really never faced hardship, you know, and I think – to be honest, I think Truman was the last one that was kind of like that, that faced severe hardship. But none of, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I will say this, I don't, I do not just, um, I don't discredit President Biden's loss of his son uh, whatsoever. I mean, that's a hard thing to deal with. But economically, he has not faced a hardship the way common America has. So he makes yeah. decisions. <sighs> with the stroke of a pen that eliminates thousands of jobs indiscriminately across America without batting an eye, losing sleep, or losing his extra helping ice cream at night and not thinking nothing of it. You know, where we need leaders that, and I refer back to him a lot because he has a lot of great things that came out of out of him is, you know, we need leaders that are willing to be the George W. Bush, who had the, the wife, the, the mother of the fallen soldier that basically spit at him and cussed him out. And he sat there and took it like a man. And he never shared that. One of his staffers did. Said he stood there and took it like a man, knowing he was going to go in there like that. Got on the chopper, had tears in his eyes, run down the side of his face. And the only words he said is, that lady is mad at me. And she has every right to be. Mm -hmm. That's the type of leader we need that has true empathy, not empathy for the camera, because he didn't release it. He would never release that. And that was just his demeanor. And we need that is and instead of making those tragedies public, you know, it got out by a staffer a couple of years later, not even when it happened. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think, I think that's missing because we're too focused on two parties putting the other parties down. And as my friend, the coach, John Brett, often says, you know, George George Washington 
that the two faults of our country will be foreign debt, one, and a political party system will be the other. And because the political party system right now, we don't get the best candidate to be president. And, yeah. uh, and I will say this is smartest man I know is my grandfather, extremely intelligent, more, more intelligent than anybody I've ever met in my life. The dude was just a science whiz. But probably the second smartest man I know was a man that ran a business, like you said, that I worked for at the oil company before I came in the army, Evitz Oil Company. His name was Curtis Evitz. And he was not a collegiate educated man. Now, I will tell you, when it came to business and how to do things, I learned so much about business through him. I'm not a business owner, but I learned a lot how business operates and how to deal with people because of him. And uh, he could have probably done anything he ever wanted. I believe that he could have been president. He could have been whatever he wanted. That was not his ambitions. And, but he could have done anything he wanted because he faced diversity. He had some businesses that didn't make it through and he picked up the things and said, I'm going to go do this business instead. And he succeeded at it. And mm -hmm. like you said, I think what a measure of a man is how you deal with adversity. That's maybe not a man, adult. That's probably better because women, men, whoever, how you deal with adversity is, is what makes you who you are. And I just think that economically, the last few presidents haven't ever had a, to deal with adversity. So they don't even, they, they do not even understand that fully. It's kind of the out of touch syndrome. You know, they're completely out of touch with that compared to a mom who has three kids as a single parent that works during a day. And maybe she does something that most people don't appreciate. Maybe she goes and I've known them that strip at night, you know, to ensure that her babies have food to eat. You know, mm -hmm. he can't, he can't relate to that. So. Right. Me, so. I think I also think too, is if I was, Joe Biden in, in his shoes right now and all this stuff was happening. I would go into work tomorrow and I would say, I'm going to Ukraine and I would show up there and, and I would say, what can I do? And, then, and honestly, to me, that would be like, that's, that's what I was waiting for right there is, is that, that move. And <laughs> He, he, could, he could make a move that would garner a lot of people behind him, and it might not have to be that much, but he could gain garner a few moves that would posture a lot of things. And, and I will say this, though, in all reality, that Article 5 is a hard thing with NATO because if he goes there and stirs the crap pot and there's engagement, and it wasn't because – and Article 5 was compromised uh, because maybe they took it as he did was doing something. That changes some things in the NATO posturing too, okay? Because mm -hmm. aggression on one, an unwarranted aggression, from my understanding, on one is an unwarranted aggression on all. And, uh, and then it's the one awful one, one for all syndrome. But if he's the stir, the shit stir of the pot, you know, I don't know if that applies. So I will say that part. They don't, you know, it's kind of touchy. And, and, and to understand that is some of those countries there have 
they're, I mean, Germany's constitution is they will not aggress anybody with the exception of something like NATO, like that. They, they will not be the initiator. It's in their constitution under the Marshall Plan after World War II is they cannot initiate anything. So Mason, mm -hmm. you know, you don't know about Germans. They like to follow laws. <laughs> they like to follow rules. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So, <laughs> so but I, we, we would all have a lot more respect. But I think, you know, there were so many other things. You know, we could have said, we could have solved things like this. You know, I'm not going to Ukraine, but, you know, they sent the 82nd over for some things. And I'm like, why do we send the 82nd? They sent some MPs or something over, you know, for human processing in case the overload. I'm like, so why didn't you just send a support element for that? I'm just asking, you know. Yeah. But why didn't you not say, I'm going to posture a division in Poland? I don't know. That probably would have caught some attention. But maybe there's intelligence that would, that might have provoked Putin more. I don't know. You know, um, uh, I think at the least case scenario is posturing a vision in Germany going, well, we're just going to put them here just in case, you know, got ready to go, got to need them. You know, probably some of them guys that can fly out of the sky and hop in there real quick, you know, stuff like that. And uh, yeah. we're going to probably practice our bombing routes from uh, – from the States with the B-52s all the way to Poland, let them get some mileage on them, test them out, make sure they're running good. You know, some things. Yeah. Like that. I don't know. That's just make me. Sure. Keep the mechanics busy. Yeah. 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 Make <laughs> sure we keep the logistics the going. Because yeah. those things he could have done, you know, and at the end of the day, this whole thing with Russia is a lack of the things that we should have done six months ago, eight months ago, you know, and then we we pandered around and wait till it happened, and then we lost all our standing. To be honest, you know, where we yeah. should have done things. Think about it. Eight months ago, well, okay, yeah, we pulled troops out of Afghanistan. We give them a break because I felt bad for them because they fought so many times. That was an excuse, not that it was a photo op moment for the twentieth anniversary, but we're going to move them over to Germany, let them eat bratwurst and schnitzel, be postured in case there's any Cold War things going on. Yep. So, so. Well, well, I definitely think that uh, our listeners are going to get a lot out of just listening to the history lesson that we just got, um, <laughs> because it was something I was missing um, in my life for sure. And I always love these conversations, but uh, I appreciate you coming on here for sure. Um, and, and honestly, the, the, uh, our history together and, and from day one to year 14 now, uh, I've carried around one thing from you and I've told you many times before, uh, is you came out and you addressed all like 200 of us, um, in the battalion and you said, you called out all the NCOs. And you said, I need all the NCOs to come forward. And all of them lined up. And you went down the line and you said, this is your, these are your leaders, um, something along those lines. But you got to a point where you said, you pointed at one and he said, who are your guys? And, and he goes, oh, these guys over here. And you go, do you know what they like to eat for breakfast? And he said, I think I, I, I don't know. 
I, I think it was something along those lines. And you go, okay, that's a problem. And you said, if you don't know what your soldiers like to eat on their eggs, whether that's ketchup or barbecue sauce, whatever the case may be, then you don't know your soldiers. And I've carried that with me for 14 years now, and I've implemented that. That's one of those things I've taken away and implemented into being an NCO myself now. And it's just one of those things is pulled from you as, as being a great leader and knowing my Joes. So well, I would thank tell you, you for that. I will tell you where that came from is um, my second deployment. I was in Kuwait the second time, and we had a group of about 15 of us that we, that we were there. We was only there for three months, but we thought Saddam Hussein was going to come back over. And as we was there, this fifth group of about 15, 12, 15 of us, we did everything together. We made a point that, hey, we'd already been to Desert Storm together. We wasn't all in the same organization then, but we're going to go do everything together. So we always ate every meal together. And when we did, we did this crazy thing where, Nick, can you tell Ron to tell so-and-so to tell so-and-so to pass the salt? And we would talk this all the way down. And he'd go, tell Ian that I'm going to pass the salt. And we would do this kind of jokingly. But what it did was by the time we was there two weeks is somebody would go up and out, you know, me or somebody else and go, Ryan, man, you're looking down today because you knew them so well because you ate every yeah. meal together and you knew them so well. You're like, Ryan, are you all right? Well, you know, I called home and so-and-so wasn't home and I, I'm wondering what's going on. Oh, you're going to be all right, Ryan. But it's that part right there, the camaraderie that it developed that you knew everybody. So you knew all their nuances because you broke bread with them is what it amounted to, you know? Yeah. So anyway, and it started right there when I was a young E4, a E4P in Kuwait. And I said, and since then I've always, I had deals where I'd eat with soldiers and I, I would ask about things and they would tell me things in the barracks as a first sergeant and sergeant major. I was like, I didn't need to know all that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I I remember our first sergeant at Fort Riley, uh, Danny Berkey, right, right before I got out, he was, he would do barracks inspections about once every two weeks. And I just remember he would go down and you would hear him go, what did I just walk <laughs> into? He's like, well, and it would be like deer season or something like that. And somebody would have a deer head in there in their room or or somebody would have a tore apart transmission on a car in their room and a whole car engine the, on the engine stand in the barracks room you're like <laughs> dude how did I'm you impressed. get this thing up here man how do you not have a don't you have a profile you know <laughs> yeah right <laughs> oh but man. uh well we'll wrap this up and uh I appreciate you coming on here, like I said, and I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of out of your insight and, uh, and uh, look forward to our chat again next time. So, Hey, and by the way, if you guys haven't already subscribed, subscribe to our podcast and also Ian and John Brent have a podcast called the coach in the vet in the vet. And actually John Brent is my nutrition coach. And, uh, personal kind of personal trainer he writes my workouts i do them right over here in my garage and he has helped me drop i want to say about 
12, 13 pounds in the past month. So if you guys are looking for a nutrition coach, John Brandt would be, <laughs> he would be the, the guy to go to. And he is on the coach and the vet with Ian. And, uh, Hey, once again, thank you for coming on and, uh, all right, guys have a good week. Cool.